for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast on iTunes, I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. Hope your uh, weekend's going really going well so far. Hope things are are uh, enjoyable for you and you have some fun things to do over the weekend. We've got a good uh, program laid out for you. We're going to be talking about some deals, some top stories, some economic data. And then joining me uh, in just a little bit, it's part one of a two-part series we'll be doing. The second part will be next Saturday. But joining me in just a little bit, Miss Elaine Parker. She's a president of the Job Creators Network Foundation. Put a real good piece together that I was reading, uh, an op-ed. Small businesses and women especially need America to reopen. So we're going to be talking with um, Ms. Parker about that. And then next week, I'll be joined uh, by the CEO of Job Creators Network. And we're going to be talking about three actions by Biden administration could cost millions of jobs, a piece that was done this week as well. So uh, looking forward to getting that information to you and talking in depth about uh, what's going on with small businesses in particular. And um, and that is, again, a two-part series. Well, we did have some big deals this week. Uh, Goodyear and Cooper Tires um, are tying things up together. It's a deal valued at about $2.8 billion. You're talking about uh, two of the biggest tire companies in, um, in the country. So um, I saw the announcement from Goodyear's chairman. He was saying that they're confident that this combination will enable them to provide enhanced services for their customers and consumers while delivering value for their shareholders. So that was the official announcement uh, in the uh, the deal paperwork, if you will. Uh, Cooper was founded, if you're not familiar with them, back in 1914. They're the fifth largest tire maker in North America based on revenue. The company has about 10,000 employees uh, in 15 different countries around the world. Um, and it's really interesting, too, that uh, both of these companies are only 132 miles apart when you look at their headquarters. Uh, the company will be based in Goodyear year's home of Akron, Ohio. Uh, Cooper's current headquarters is in Finley, uh, Ohio. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, like I said, that they're that close. And then they finally decided to, uh, to tie things up together. We'll see if, in fact, it is uh, a good marriage. Time always tells on these things. So we'll keep an eye on that. Also, Merck, the pharmaceutical company, said on Thursday that it was buying a drug developer, Pandonian Therapeutics, for about $1.85 billion in cash. So they just uh, stroked a check for that. And they're doing that to expand their portfolio of drugs that target autoimmune diseases. So um, it was a 134% premium uh, to Wednesday's close. So that was a real good thing for the um, uh, for the shareholders. And uh, Pandonian's lead drug candidate, it's called PT-101, last month met its main goals of safe, uh, safety and tolerability in an early stage trial in patients with autoimmune diseases. So um, hopefully some good things will come there, obviously, for people that are sick. 
and then also or the financial side of it for shareholders uh, and other companies uh, in that space that might benefit from this uh, this marriage, if you will, is, is, as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. Well, we know just how terrible the weather uh, was down in Texas uh, last week. And uh, we were speaking here on the program about how much um, electricity prices were going up and how people couldn't pay those prices. Well, they're not going to be the the residents in Texas aren't going to be burdened by skyrocketing energy bills following that deadly winter storm that caused widespread uh, widespread blackouts um, when when it came to town. And that was from the governor, Greg Abbott. He was basically saying, look, you know, he made this announcement on Sunday that he's addressing the skyrocketing energy bills that resulted from a temporary spike in the energy market with members of the legislature to make sure residents aren't held financially responsible. So, you know, you've got that state really having some serious uh, problems under one of the worst electricity outages that they experienced in U.S. history. So Abbott and members of the legislature will calculate the total cost of the bills and find ways that the state can help reduce this burden. The Public Utility Commission, at the direction of Governor Abbott, was temporarily uh, restricting providers from issuing invoices to customers and it also issued a temporary moratorium on customer disconnections for non-payment. These bills are crazy. I mean, there's a staggering imbalance between Texas's uh, energy supply and demand, and it caused prices to skyrocket from roughly $20 per megawatt hour to $9,000 per megawatt hour. So you have people getting, you know, some really, really insane uh, energy bills. So it was good to see that um, the governor and uh, a lot of the folks uh, in the legislature were acting uh, to try to figure out how to help people in many ways. You know, they also had the water problems. So uh, it was good to see that they uh, went into action pretty much right away. So the really scary thing is this. um, Well, it's not a covid relief bill. It barely has anything to do with COVID. This is a Democratic Christmas uh, list. That's that's all it is. And they don't care that, you know, they've been messing around with this stuff for months and months as people were dying and people were losing their jobs, maybe their car, maybe their house, um, maybe their families are breaking up. I mean, this is exactly what people talked about for the last three years. They wanted this to happen, um, some type of recession that would derail the economy and allow them a foot in the door uh, to try to um, beat the last administration, which, you know, a perfect storm along with some, um, you know, really questionable uh, outcomes and things that were being done. Um, It it worked. But again, they're standing on piles of bodies, um, kids that have just lost a tremendous amount of time as far as education and socially, but they don't care because it's for, you know, politics for them at the end of the day. That's all they care about. But um, this this, um, Christmas list, basically a $1,400 stimulus check, um, it increases supplemental unemployment benefits by $400 a week through the end of August. So, hey, 
just you can make more staying at home by the taxpayer, you know, will do it. People that are working and uh, you just sit home and, you know, be a gamer or lazy, maybe go down to the bar, um, you know, hang out on the corner, whatever it is, you know, you're going to, you're going to be good until uh, August. And it also is a total bailout for poorly run uh, cities and states, $350 billion for state and local governments. It's a moral hazard. You're rewarding them for epic poor management for decades. And now we taxpayers and our kids and grandkids are getting saddled with this uh, this Christmas list. Um, you know, last year we already saw a record $3.1 trillion for the uh, fiscal year as far as a deficit goes. And they're just piling on um, about $300 billion will go toward longstanding policy priorities that are not directly related to the virus. So it's, it's so insane. You have to laugh because otherwise you get so mad you want to put your fist through the wall. Um, but to see these politicians take advantage of this situation um, and just muscle this thing through when it ha- has hardly anything to do with uh, with the virus and people voted for this that's what's really funny <laughs> so anyway um the other thing i saw this so that is just a total joke and most people that are in the know you know they realize that that it's uh it's just a terrible terrible piece of legislation it's stealing from the taxpayers um it's doling out money and pet projects and like i said failed government leadership so it's uh it's it's such a shame the other thing i saw this week was according to the tax foundation which is a tax policy nonprofit, biden's plans to raise the corporate tax rate would have a chilling effect on economic growth it would deep uh, depress wages lead to job losses so uh biden and other democrats in congress uh have proposed several changes to the tax code including raising the corporate tax rate to 28 percent from the 21 percent uh level that uh the trump administration brought it down to you know it was at 35 percent and president trump and uh and congress brought it down to 21 and we saw what real growth looks like not what these handouts look like and all this money slushing around uh, that's just being printed, uh, which, by the way, people are saying, oh, this is going to be a good year. You know, we're really going to be able to um, rebound after the virus. Uh, I could get a third grader in the White House and they could oversee this type of recovery. It's the same that what we saw with the financial crisis and the housing bust uh, when Obama came into office. Same thing. I said it back then. What was that, 13 years ago? Or, yeah, literally, I could get a third grader. There's nowhere to go but up unless you're really stupid. So, um, you know, but what we really saw with the last administration is what organic growth looks like. Real growth, not stimulated growth. Increase in wages, record low unemployment, businesses both old and new, thriving. Didn't matter when you talked about employment. Didn't matter how old you were. Didn't matter what color your skin was. Didn't matter your educational background. All of those areas improved 
through organic and real growth, real economic growth, not all this stimulus garbage that we're already seeing and we're going to see more of um, through this legislation. So it's really a shame. But the Tax Foundation said in a new report that uh, the administration's plan to hike the tax rate for corporations would eliminate 159,000 jobs, depress wages by seven-tenths of a percent, and reduce long-run economic output. Their senior policy analyst, Garrett Watson, and the vice president of federal tax and economic policy were arguing that Biden's proposed tax hike would reduce American economic output during a time when we need to maximize economic growth to reach our country's pre-virus level. What was that level? Eh, Full employment, people making money, businesses thriving, proud people working and being rewarded and keeping America humming along. So, um, you know, they're just pointing out the obvious there. And I have to bring this up. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw this this week. There's a guy in uh, California, a congressman named Ro Conan. And he said, and he literally said this, he's all for small businesses. Those that can't afford to pay their employees $15, $15 an hour are essentially undesirable. How does that make you feel? If you're a business owner, and especially you're, you know, offering these entry-level work positions to young folks, I don't know, maybe somebody out of prison, you know, reformed, I don't, you know, whoever. But this guy is saying, he, which no surprise when I saw the text of it, um, it was from an interview on CNN Inside Politics. But that was his response to a question about how hard it might be for many small businesses to afford increased labor cost if the minimum wage is raised to $15 an hour. And again, he said, oh, I love small businesses. I'm all for it. But I don't want small businesses that are underpaying employees. um, And again, that are, in his words, essentially undesirable. Why don't you try lowering your taxes in California, you idiot? That's why everybody's leaving the state. Oh, by the way, they're getting a nice bailout, too, and some uh, pet projects in, um, in that, uh, that bill. So, again, you're rewarding terrible leadership by the governor, both for the virus and as far as uh, fiscal issues go. But, you know, they're going to get uh, some extra money. So, um, Really, really sad. I tell you, it's really, really sad. But we're going to keep talking about it because that's what's important is to know how things are being impacted, who's being impacted. Um, and, of course, down the road, the the debt that will have to be paid uh, by children, grandchildren, and others. Um, and hopefully it won't drive the country into the ground. That remains to be seen as well. Um, take a quick break. wanted to remind you um, our latest – complimentary uh, download on the homepage, murrayfinancialgroup.com, is the value of an objective opinion. So if you go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, right on the homepage, you can click on immediate download, 
and uh, and enjoy that uh, that white paper. And then we're going to talk about some economic data, and uh, also right around the corner, our conversation starts in our two part two part excuse me um, series. Uh, this week, it's uh, Miss Elaine Parker, the president of the Job Creators Network Foundation. She'll be joining me in just a little bit. And then next week, it's going to be um, Mr. Ortez, Alfredo Ortez, who is the CEO of the Job Creators Network. And um, so in just a little bit, we're going to be talking small business, especially for ladies. And then also uh, next week, uh, the XL Pipeline and other things that uh, have already been done um, by executive action that are costing jobs. Uh, so uh, as I mentioned, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and click on that uh, complimentary download, The Value of an Objective Opinion. If I were a rich man, all day long, if I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. All alone in a time of need. Because he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and also as a podcast on iTunes. Uh, and um, we got quite a bit of economic data this week. Um, as always, it was, you know, a mixed bag. But um, one of the really sad things to see was another 730,000 people applied for initial jobless claims for the first time last week. So obviously the figure remains higher than much higher than the uh, highest pre-virus record. Um, an additional 451,400 people signed up for an emergency unemployment program titled Pandemic Unemployment Assistance. So, you know, that brings the total number of claims to nearly 1.2 million. Um, and federal watchdogs have warned that claims data is extremely vulnerable to being distorted by processing errors. And that raises questions about the true size of last week's decline, especially because of that treacherous weather uh, that we saw uh, in different parts across the uh, the U.S. Um, when we look, we got quite a bit of housing data this week. Uh, lagging indicator, the uh, Case-Shiller Home Price Index, showed that U.S. home prices rose in or excuse me in December at their fastest pace in nearly seven years. Um, so again, that's a lagging indicator, but it was good to see home prices were up 10.4 percent year over year. Um, and they were up month over month. So that was really a, a good thing to witness there. Uh, fourth quarter home prices saw record growth. That's according to the FHFA. During the uh, fourth quarter of 2020, U.S. prices surged 10.8% on an annual basis and 3.8% on a quarterly basis marking growth records for both of those metrics, I noticed. And then uh, the comments by uh, the deputy director, Lynn Fisher, 
of the FHFA's Division of Research and Statistics said house prices nationwide recorded the largest annual and quarterly increase in the history of the home price index, low mortgage rates, pent-up demand from home buyers, and limited housing supply propelled every region of the country to experience faster growth in 2020 compared to a year ago, despite the virus. Um, and here's what's really interesting, because the other thing is people want to get away from the cities um, because they're so poorly run, uh, they're dangerous, it gets a little freaky often. But uh, every state, as well as D.C., saw annual home price growth. Now, where were the greatest increases, the surges, if you will? Idaho, up 21.1%. Montana, up 15.5%. Utah, up 15.4%. It's obvious where people are going. They're getting away from the states, like I said, that are poorly run, and especially the cities. Um, and, uh, and, and they're just getting away from all the idiots. So that was really, really a telling tale to see uh, which states had the greatest surges in home prices. And good for them. I'm glad the, those folks are um, maybe, you know, downsizing in those states or whatever it might be or moving uh, up even, you know, and selling starters, uh, that they're going to benefit from that, those prices going up. Also, sales of uh, new homes was up more than expected in January. So uh, the Commerce Department came out and said new home sales rose 4.3% last month. That was much better than um, the economists that were, uh, when I was looking at the report, they were um, s- surveyed by Reuters. So, I, you know, you Never know what you're going to get there. Uh, Sales increased in the south, midwest, and west, but they actually declined uh, in the northeast. So that was was an interesting point there. And then we saw U.S. pending home sales actually drop by 2.8% last month, uh, according to the National Association of Realtors. So um, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. I know last week when we got building permits, Um, There was a lot in the pipeline, it looked like, coming our way. And then our district, our Federal Reserve District, we're in the 5th District. um, The Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond uh, said that uh, manufacturing activity continued to improve in February. Uh, That was according to that most recent survey from the Richmond Fed. The uh, index held steady from January to February at a reading of 14 as all three component indexes, that's uh, shipments, new orders, and employment, remained firmly positive. So uh, that's really uh, good news. And um, no big surprise to see that higher mortgage rates took a bite out of demand for applications in this past week. Mortgage apps fell 11.4% from a week earlier. And it's odd because there was hardly any change. Uh, A 30-year fixed rate went from 2.98% to 3.08. So, you know, not really moving the needle very much right there. But again, you saw applications down. And then the problems with um, that that came from the wintry weather and how it impacted um, energy. Because crude oil production here in the United States dropped last week by more than 10%. That's 1 million barrels per day during that winter storm in Texas. 
So it equaled the largest weekly fall ever, according to the Energy Information um, Administration. Uh, uh, Traffic at the Houston Ship Channel was slowly coming back to normal, but you still saw terminals that were facing several issues. So uh, that is uh, hitting you, as as you already know. I'm telling you what you already know, at the pump immediately. Um, So that's tough. And, of course, they had already started going up because of the executive order with the XL pipeline and other um, very, very uh, foolish moves. And that's just hurting who? The most? Yep, poor people. People living on fixed income, elderly, um, that need to get around. Uh, you're paying more for gas. That's an immediate hit to your wallet or pocketbook. Or if you're heating your home with heating oil, that's an immediate uh, hit to you. So... Uh, very, very uh, poor policy there. Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Powell said that the U.S. economy remains in the throes of the virus when he was talking to Congress this week. And everything's highly uncertain. And um, the path of the economy continues to depend significantly on the course of the virus. And they're going to do whatever they can to save the day, which means um, continue to buy at least $120 billion of bonds each month um, and keep interest rates at uh, basically 0%. And this wasn't talked about, but you know what happened this week? The Federal Reserve system that allows wire money transfers crashed and was just basically offline. It impacted customers, which included banks, brokers, mortgage lenders, and others, and their ability to transfer funds in large and small amounts. So uh, the uh, spokesman for our Richmond Fed said that a Federal Reserve operational error resulted in disruption of service in several business lines, and they were restoring services, um, and they were communicating with all the Federal Reserve Financial Services customers and trying to, uh, they tried to get everything, you know, squared away and, and restored. Your immediate concern there, or my immediate concern, is a potential criminal element. Was there some type of foreign interference? What really happened there uh, just makes you raise an eyebrow and, uh, and wonder what was really going on and why uh, that system was down. So we'll continue to see if there's any more, excuse me, any more um, published on that or if it just gets swept under the rug. And uh, we'll let you know. Uh, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. There's a, uh, the latest complimentary download, The Value of an Objective Opinion. You just click that, uh, and then you can read it on, on, uh, on the screen, or you can go to your uh, email address, and you can print it off and make notes, et cetera. And when we come back, we'll be talking with uh, Miss Elaine Parker. She's the president of Job Creators Network Foundation. This is part one of a two-part series from the Job Creators Network. Uh, we'll talk with Miss um, Parker. She did a really good piece uh, titled Small Businesses and Women Especially Need America to Reopen. So we'll be talking to her about that. And then next week, uh, the CEO of um, the Job Creators Network Alfredo Ortiz will be coming on talking again about the cancellation of the XL pipeline and other job killing uh, steps that have already been taken. Stay tuned.
It's time to get healthy and switch to teeth. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast from iTunes. Thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it as always. Uh, If you're a new uh, listener, welcome. Really glad to have you. If you've been with us for a while, thank you for that. And if you've been with me uh, from the beginning, uh, 1997, when we uh, started the program, thanks so much for sticking with us. We know we have a lot of people that uh, moved out of the uh, mid-Maryland, Baltimore, uh, Washington area, but still listen uh, e- either at WFMD.com or as a podcast. So thank you. You guys have made the uh, program so uh, successful over the years, and you uh, really deserve all the credit, as do the guests that uh, appear on the program. You know, we kind of like to go top shelf with the people we talk to uh, in various industries, whether it's a CEO or Federal Reserve official or whoever it might be. And we're continuing that uh, tradition today, uh, actually starting a two-part series um, we're speaking this morning with my guest, Miss Elaine Parker. She's the president of Job Creators Network Foundation. And we're going to be talking with Miss Parker about uh, what the foundation's all about, um, a really good article that she penned, an op ed, and um, also just small businesses and ladies in particular and how they're being impacted. And then next weekend, the second part of the series, we're actually going to have. Uh, the CEO of uh, the same organization, Mr. Alfredo Ortiz. Uh, He is a CEO of Job Creators Network Foundation. So we're going to cover a lot of stuff this week. Again, we're going to focus on uh, the ladies uh, and how they've been impacted uh, by the virus and the shutdowns. And then next week about the XL pipeline uh, catastrophe with the executive order and all the other uh, foolish uh, choices this uh, new administration uh, has made. So we're going to get to uh, to all of that stuff over the next two weeks. Right now, I'd like to welcome in our guest, Miss Elaine Parker. Good morning, Miss Parker. How are you? Hey, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, sure. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you guys do a lot of good work and you're very busy. And I guess that's where we should start. Um, can you tell uh, everyone listening about uh, Job Creators Network uh, Foundation and, you know, how it originated and kind of where you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so the Job Creators Network and the Job Creators Network Foundation were founded by a man named Bernie Marcus. Um, and for those of you who may not recognize that name, he's the co-founder of the Home Depot. Um, and Bernie founded us to advocate on behalf of small businesses for pro-growth um, policies for small businesses, like low taxes and less regulations, um, things that help drive small businesses. And, and now you're thinking to yourself, but he's the founder of the, co- of the Home Depot. That's a large corporation. Um, well, there was a time uh, in, in the founding of the Home Depot that it was a small business, and, and Bernie sees himself as a small business owner. He remembers the struggles of founding that company and meeting payroll every week, figuring out how to keep inventory on the shelves, and dealing with taxes and regulations of that time. 
And he understands that small businesses drive this economy, and he really wants to protect and defend the free enterprise, capitalism, for the next big idea like the Home Depot. And so that's what we do. We represent the 30 million small business owners out there um, who rely on um, having their voice amplified and and heard because they don't have floors full of uh, lawyers um, and accountants to um, uh, to lobby for them in Washington D.C. So we help amplify their voice. Yeah, and that's uh, what a great story to be able to tell. And you know, again, uh, uh, Bernie and and then Ken Langone, the other co-founder, like you said, they started out as a small business. The you know, kind of from the ground floor, and have been so successful, and then they give back so much. Like you said, with uh, you know, with what Bernie has done with your organization, um, and uh, so. You wrote this piece uh, that I saw, the uh, op-ed. It's titled, Small Businesses and Women Especially Need America to Reopen. If we just kind of review 2020, uh, you know, kind of tell us what you saw um, unfolding and impacting all of those small businesses you're, you know, associated with and, and trying to help. Yeah, so as if we circle back uh, about a year ago as we started to go into this pandemic and, and if you remember um, the whole 14 days to, to stop the spread, um, you know, months later we were still staring at um, many areas of the country um, being shut down. And the bulk of those being hurt were small businesses and their employees. And so we worked with um, Congress and former Secretary um, Stephen Mnuchin on um, developing and and executing that um, Paycheck Protection Program, which we really felt was a lifeline for small businesses, not only to stay, keep their doors open, but to keep their employees connected to their businesses um, and keep them paid. Um, so that when the when the lights came back on and the businesses were able to reopen based on their area of the country and, of course, mayors and governors, um, you know, lifting some of these lockdowns, that they could immediately come back to life and reopen and their employees were ready to go. Um, and so that was such an important piece of everything. But what we found is that Certain areas of the country continue to stay locked down more so than others, um, and that, and, and in some cases, perhaps the the lockdowns um, needed to, you know, the openings had to be slower. But in other cases, as we watch the science, we continued to see the lockdowns really repress small businesses. We saw small business owners fighting back, and so what we did was we launched a campaign called "Flatten the Fear." Um, you know, we wanted to um, push back on the media reports and help really put the virus in context about how we could be safe, how business owners were implementing their own safety procedures to keep their employees and their customers safe. And that if you could go to the grocery store and you could go to Walmart um, and Target, then you could certainly go to work safely. Um, because those employees were going to work and they were considered essential. But we kept seeing local um, officials decide who was essential and who wasn't, and kids weren't in school. And so we kept on thinking, why aren't teachers back in school teaching? They should be, they are essential employees, of course. By the end of this year, we have seen um, about half the jobs come back. There's still about 12 million people unemployed as a result of this pandemic. And in December, we had our uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics put out um, the uh, 
the business losses, the job losses, um, which forced companies to shed about 227,000 jobs in December. And guess what? The female job loss accounted for 86% of that job. Women are disproportionately being hurt from this pandemic through job losses because our kids aren't in school. And so I wrote this op-ed to talk about how women are being hurt much more so than men and why it's that much more important to not only get our kids back to get our economy open, but we have to start with step one, and that's getting all of these schools open and our kids back in school. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, that's all of that was just spot on. Um, and I want to let everybody know you can go to jobcreatorsnetwork.com um, and you can pull up uh, Miss Parker's article, Small Businesses and Women Especially need America to reopen. You can also see uh, all the stuff they're doing, a ton of free information for you. There's membership opportunities for all of our businesses listening. Um, So again, go to jobcreatorsnetwork.com and and take advantage of that. And and her uh, op-ed is a a fairly quick read, but it's all point, you know, point on. So Uh, You should take advantage of that. We're going to squeeze a quick commercial break in, and then on the other side, we'll finish up with my guest, Miss Elaine Parker. She is the uh, president of the Job Creators Network Foundation and chief communications officer for Job Creators Network. So uh, we'll squeeze this in and see you on the other side. Earth's Urgent Care for Pets. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. A service of Partners in Care, upscale resale boutique in the Willow Tree Plaza. Now, a highlight from the best of your financial editor on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, WFMD WFMD.com, and as a podcast from iTunes. And um, we're uh, wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Ed Heiselmeyer. He's an expert in healthcare policy and frequently is asked to help lawmakers design and draft reforms to the health system. And uh, he's been writing about the virus and is uh, well-versed on pretty much every part of it has given us a lot of insight and and, uh, encouraging information so far uh, today, and I appreciate that. So, um, Ed, who else besides – we talked about Pfizer and BioNTech and uh, Moderna, you know, but who else – some of the other big names involved in this Operation Warp Speed? Oh, well, uh, some of the the other drug uh, – vaccine candidates in in development uh, are uh, from – uh, Oxford University, which uh, partnered with AstraZeneca, which is a big uh, uh, drug company like uh, it's a it's a British Swedish drug company like Pfizer, one of the big ones. Uh, Sanofi, which is the world, it's a French company, a big company. It's one of the world's leading vaccine makers. Um, you know, Merck. I mean, th- th- these companies are all working on this. Uh, so, you know, there's there's about five or seven uh, candidates in in phase two or phase three trials. 
right now. And uh, not all of them uh, are using the same technology, and that's good because that gives you more shots on goal, as they say. Um, but uh, uh, some of them are using variants of uh, this kind of genomic-driven uh, technology. So uh, it remains to be seen how, how that will play out. Uh, again, we're, we're, there's a possibility, I was just reading, that we might see within a month uh, some of the data out of the Phase three trials for the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine. That's another one that's been you know fairly uh, well along in development yeah and and like and, you and, said and the, not only was our government uh, pre-ordering but other governments are doing the same sort of thing which is you know exactly what you need um, you don't want to reinvent the wheel these companies uh, know how to build out manufacturing and things I see that's another example of parallel processing you know if, if you're building out the manufacturing before you know whether it's going to succeed well, part of that is the regulators have to review your – they have to visit and review and approve your manufacturing facility. So, again, the, the FDA and the companies are working in parallel to while they're still developing and testing the drug to make sure that uh, the manufacturing is set up so that, you know, as soon as it gets approval, they can just flip the switch and start producing. Yeah. And, and, and you've seen that not only with the FDA, but you've seen that with the equivalents, for example, the European Medicine Agency uh, as well. And the, uh, the, you know, the other parts of Operation Warp Speed are the, the companies that are building the refrigeration, like, uh, uh, what is it, Fisher? Um, yeah, well, there, yeah, there, there are other uh, parts to it. Yes, uh, corning with you know producing the glass vials that yeah. you need, and and there's storage issues. Yeah, Operation Warp Speed is also, and this is where we're shifting now. Is we're shifting to the next phase, which is the distribution, and that, and that's the one where I'm a little concerned that we might not be focused enough on what states and localities need to do. It's important to understand that those are the frontline troops on the ground. This stuff, you know, no administration at the federal level can uh, uh, do this because this is all very local. In other words, are you going to send out mobile vaccination bands to, you know, uh, at-risk populations or rural populations? Are you going to have pharmacists uh, uh, vaccinating people? Um, those are things that states and local governments have to do and have to decide. Federal government can give them some money, and, and there's been some calls to do that. But we're now to a stage where this is going to the rollout is going to be very much affected by what states are doing. One of the issues, and, and, and for all the good news, there is some uncertainty on the vaccine, and the va and because they are new. And the uncertainty, though, is one I think we can live with. The uncertainty is we don't know how long the positive effect will last. In other words, if you get the vaccination, uh, you know, and the other thing is we know that most of these vaccines are going to require a booster shot, that there are a two-dose vaccine, you get a shot, and then a month later you come back and get another shot. So that involves two things. One, we don't know and we won't know, uh, time will only tell, how long the positive immunity effect lasts. Uh, I've seen scientific analysis that indicate that could be 
long duration, but that's still an uncertainty. Uh, the other thing that's important for state and local governments is, and health providers is to register, is to have registries of everybody that's gotten the vaccine, and and call them back, and get them to get the second shot. Um, and some states are better prepared than others to do that with their existing infrastructure, and so that's an area that still needs work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our guest this morning, Mr. Ed Heiselmeyer. Uh, an expert in healthcare policy helps to write uh, or design and draft reforms to the healthcare system. Um, you've can you, you've probably seen him on TV, heard him on the radio, uh, seen some of his writings. Actually, yet if someone wanted to read uh, your uh, what you've penned, uh, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Well, uh, most of what I publish is, even if it's an outside, is is posted on uh, the Heritage Foundation website, my, uh, my uh, uh, think tank, the Heritage Foundation where I work. Uh, you can go there, heritage.org. Uh, you can look me up uh, under, you know, the list of experts, or you can look it up by issues and see what I and my colleagues, because I, I, I'm by no means the only one doing this. So sure. if you were to look up health care reform or public health is the key, you know, there's a menu of health care and then underneath it, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, public health, uh, you can see what my colleagues, for example, my colleagues have done some great work on things like the, the response in telemedicine to the pandemic, which is another very positive thing that's come out of this. Uh, some work on testing, which has been problematic, and how to deal with that and fix that. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff. So you can go to heritage.org uh, and, and look at our healthcare publications. And it's not just our papers. It's they usually post things like if we write an op-ed somewhere, it usually gets posted on there as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, uh, taking time to uh, to be with us. I know you have a busy schedule. It was a ton of information condensed in a fairly short period of time, but I really think it gave all of our listeners, uh, you know, a lot to uh, think about, and I'm sure they learned a lot. So uh, enjoy your weekend, and again, thank you so much, Ed. Okay, well, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, that does it for us. Uh, unfortunately, out of time. Uh, I hope you found it as interesting and enlightening. And like I used the word earlier, exciting about the, the cancer and other diseases uh, and illnesses, the vaccines. And uh, we've been talking about that for a long time. What used to be a death sentence is uh, now maybe a manageable uh, type of illness or disease. So uh, you can uh, check L, uh, excuse me, Ed. Heiselmeyer's information out. Um, the other thing I just want to say, if you really want to know what Operation Warp Speed is about, go to hhs.gov and read. And you know what? Learn how your money's been spent because it's been a lot of it that's uh, that's gone out the door, which is great because it's proving to be uh, very, very beneficial. Ed talked about corning, for example, right? And they're making the vials. We as taxpayers gave them $204 million on June 11th to make sure that that was going to happen. That's how far ahead this Operation Warp Speed was. So now the vials are ready. And they can do, uh, like, I think it's $164 million of those Valor Glass vials per year if needed. This is incredible. So uh, check it out, hhs.gov, and uh, get your learn on impress some people at your uh, party or your virtual meeting or whatever it is that you're doing 
And um, that does it for us. Oh, you can go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, the latest complimentary download, Are You Paying Too Much in Taxes in Retirement? And uh, also, I'll talk with you next week on the Morning News Express with uh, Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. And um, I hope you have a very blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, You know, I I really mean that uh, to all the listeners and your families. And um, I'll talk with you soon. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. What if the armies of the Lord picked up and dusted off their swords? Vowed to set the captive free and not let Satan have one more. What if the church for heaven's sake finally stepped up to the plate, took a stand upon God's promise, and stormed hell's rusty gates? What if his people prayed? News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.